The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Welcome to What Catholics Believe. I am James Birch, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. Hello, Jim. Father Jenkins recently um, put out a video on What Catholics Believe regarding the Indult Mass, and uh, we've received quite a few questions regarding that video. And so tonight we're going to try to answer some of those questions. So the uh, first question that came in, Father, is that um, one thing you did not um, mention in your last video are the variations of the different uh, traditionalist uh, groups. Um, <clears throat> and so maybe uh, I'll list the three that they gave here, and uh, could you briefly explain and contrast the three, um, that being the Society of St. Pius V, the Society of St. Pius X, and the Fraternity of St. Peter. Uh, well, Jim, a great deal could be said about this, as you know. Um, but the word briefly, you know, I take that very seriously, as you know, so I'll try to be characteristically brief. As I mentioned in an earlier program, uh, what defines someone as traditional is that they follow Catholic tradition, right? Uh, that there, there is actually unity of faith and unity of worship in principle among all these traditional groups. They all agree that they believe in the traditional Catholic Catechism, notably the Roman Catechism, the Council of Trent Catechism. We all believe what is contained in that Catechism. All traditional Catholic groups, as such, believe in uh, the Catholic worship that has come down to us through the ages, traditional Catholic worship, notably in the Latin Roman Rite of Mass. And if you ask all the traditional groups in the world, right down to the last person in each group, what is it you want for your worship? They would say, we want the traditional Latin rite, the, the Roman rite of Mass, and sacraments. That is what we want. So there's, there's a perfect unity in belief and in worship in principle. And even uh, in the matter of government, you know, that's, a, that's the third aspect of the unity of the Church. Uh, all traditional Catholics, uh, as traditional Catholics would say, uh, we have to follow Catholic tradition. I mean, even the Pope, if you know, every true Catholic Pope has to follow Catholic tradition. He's, he is subject to Catholic tradition. His papacy is for the, precisely to guard and protect and foster Catholic tradition. This is where there's a difference. Because while in principle all these traditional groups say that they, they, they follow Catholic tradition, in fact they don't. Okay? And um, I do not believe that the uh, Fraternity of St. Peter is traditional in the sense that they really follow Catholic tradition. The Society of St. Pius X also, I, I believe, that in some ways it does not follow Catholic tradition. Uh, I am with the Society of St. Pius V I, because I believe that Cat the Society of St. Pius V does actually follow Catholic tradition. And, uh, I mean, I could explain that, again, wouldn't be quite as brief to explain it, but, uh, for example, with the Fraternity of St. Peter, they are officially part of the Novus Ordo Church. They recognize the Novus Ordo religion as Catholic, 
as the Catholic religion, and uh, they uh, therefore uh, promote the modernist idea of the church being a mixture, as I mentioned in my video, of good and bad liturgy, good and bad doctrine, uh, always in need of reform, as Francis and all the modernists say, because it's a mixture of the good and the bad, it's always constantly evolving. I mean, uh, when you accept the Novus Ordo with all that uh, you know, it is meant and all it's done to the Church, and you accept that as Catholic, then uh, you have absolutely no right to refuse it. You should embrace it. And it can't just be a matter of personal taste and preference that says, I reject the Novus Ordo, I'm, I'm holding on to the Latin, the traditional Latin Mass. So in that, in that one thing, anyway, I would say, uh, you know, it's clear that for the members of the Fraternity of St. Peter, it can't really be a matter of principle, it has to be a matter of taste. Um, because they, they have to embrace the Novus Ordo as being Catholic. Um, and uh, with regard to the Society of St. Pius X, um, again, I mean, I, I think they depart from Catholic tradition. Uh, they, they have in the past, and I think they continue to still um, entertain the notions that somehow they have the authority to grant marriage annulments, which they certainly do not, right? Um, and they also continue to say that Francis is most certainly the vicar of Christ on earth, that he's the supreme pontiff, uh, successor of Peter, and then, uh, at least as far as I can see, they actually do nothing that he tells them to do, and they do not feel obliged to obey him in, in anything. Um, if they, if they happen to do something that he has, wants them to do, it's because they filtered it out and they decided, yes, okay, that's acceptable to us, so we'll do it. Now, if we, if we see someone as certainly a Roman pontiff, uh, we might say, yes, the, the popes can command things that are contrary to Catholic faith and, and uh, injurious to souls, as St. Robert Bellarmine said, in which case popes should be resisted. But to say somebody is the Pope and then to consider oneself entirely exempt from any authority he might have, that, that is not really Catholic, because that is a negation of the papacy. One might argue that um, Francis himself negates the papacy, but then they should say so. <laughs> you know? And that raises the other question, that if he doesn't, he doesn't even believe in the papacy, as the Catholic Church teaches, how can he be the Pope? How could he be accepted in office he doesn't even believe in? Uh, so there are all kinds of questions about that. But the Society of St. Pius X, uh, I mean, even, even in its liturgy, they say they're following the liturgy of John, of, uh, John the Twenty-Third. I guess now they have to recognize him as St. John the Twenty-Third. Um, <clears throat> but they're really not. You know, I mean, they do things that deviate from the 1962 Missal of John the Twenty-Third. And so they just motu proprio by their own, you know, by their own decision whatever it's coming down from, they, they say, well, well, we're going to do this differently from what we say we're doing, what we have to do, uh, because you have the papal authority here, so that's why we had to accept the 1962 Latin Missal. But that, that doesn't count when it comes to us making revisions in it and making exceptions to it. That we do because we want to do that. I, I don't see any of that as really being traditional. As I say, uh, you know, for a, for a person to be follow Catholic tradition, I think it's very simple, straightforward. Matter of three uh, three statements um, or three principles that come together to make one traditional. One is that what the Church has always done and always required her faithful to do 
in order to be Catholic, that that is what we will do. We will do everything the Church has insisted the Catholics must always do to be Catholic. And the second principle is similar to, you know, it's still the negation, um, but it still enjoins following Catholic tradition. That is, whatever the Catholic Church and her tradition has always and everywhere condemned as absolutely contrary to being Catholic and incompatible with Catholicism, we will never do. And the third principle is that uh, what the church has said can and should be done in times of crisis. And we have the, that's where we have the example of the church's history showing us what that is, because the church has had to judge the behavior of Catholics um, in times of crisis and has told us, yes, this was right and this was not right. Well, what the church has said must be done in a time of crisis, again, that we will do. We'll feel an obligation to do that. And uh, I believe that the Society of St. Pius V is actually adhering closely to those three principles. I don't see other traditional groups, at least the ones you've mentioned that, actually um, following through in practice what they claim in principle, that they're following Catholic tradition. And there are, besides the, in the, in the question, there are also other traditional Catholic groups out there as oh, well. Oh, yes, yes. So. And individual traditional priests. You know, we're not affiliated with any group. Perhaps because they, again, see problems where they they just don't see the group adhering, you know, this or that or the other group adhering fully to Catholic tradition. I mean, look at the Tooks. He doesn't mention the Took bishops, but, I mean, here you have a case where their, uh, the source of their orders, uh, Archbishop Took, actually consecrated non-Catholics. And this is something that the Church has always and everywhere condemned in the most severe possible terms. Um, even when in, in canon law there was a suspension uh, that was inflicted because there, you know, there was a report of this, the church would investigate and find out if it's true, and there's a, a certain uh, uh, obstinacy in that, the church would excommunicate. Now the excommunication is automatic, and it's the most severe automatic excommunication the church has. Specialissimo modo reservata sancta sede. That's I mean, most specially reserved to the Holy See itself to lift that excommunication for doing such a thing as that. So, um, you know, again, how can those who have the took line of clergy claim we're following Catholic tradition when at the very root of their very existence, right? They have something that is totally contrary to Catholic tradition and always and everywhere condemned by Catholic tradition in the most severe possible terms. Uh, and yet they claim that this is their springboard for actually saving Catholic tradition. It, it, it doesn't compute. So it all comes down to that, in my mind anyway, that the difference between the traditional groups is that, you know, there's a matter of actually being traditional Catholic in principle and in, in, in word, and traditional Catholic indeed. And uh, I look at the other traditional Catholic groups, other than the Society of St. Pius V, and I see that they're willing to compromise with tradition, Catholic tradition, when it is convenient for them. And necessity is the mother of invention, and they found a way to invent uh, an excuse, right? Uh, the Society of St. Pius V is the only group that I know of that, at least as far as I can see, is completely consistent with Catholic tradition. Now, the, uh, you mentioned that the Took line, they're also the, uh, for any viewers who might uh, see them under different names, like the CMRI, am I mm -hmm. correct about that? Or? Congregation of Mary Immaculate Queen. Okay. In English, okay. So. 
And then there is one, one other group that um, I, I know that a, a lot of people uh, may have some questions about, and that would be um, those that are part of the St. Benedict Center. Uh, if you could discuss them a little bit. Right. Well, they're, uh, again, I think traditional in more taste than principle. They would probably hotly dispute that. But the fact is uh, they have to acknowledge the Novus Ordo Church as being the true church. And uh, the church that Christ established, even though it has Novus Ordo sacraments and Novus Ordo Mass. And again, I mean, if you see the, the Novus Ordo liturgy with its Mass and its sacraments, if you see that as Catholic, then you have no right to refuse it. And if they refuse it, one has to uh, ask, on what grounds do they refuse it? Um, if it is not Catholic, then why are they continuing to pretend that the Novus Ordo Church is the Catholic Church, which actually has as its ordinary form of worship, its standard form of worship of God, something that is not Catholic and therefore false worship? Why do they continue pretending that this is the actual Catholic Church? Uh, so again, I, I think they, their, their whole position is compromised from the very beginning. Um, but also, the hardline uh, St. Benedict Center, people who are really followers of Father Feeney, uh, have to reject uh, baptism of desire and baptism of blood. They say only baptism of water uh, can can actually provide you know sanctifying grace to the soul, and justification and, and sanctification. Um, but again, this is contrary to Catholic tradition. I mean, you know, the, the, the Brothers Diamond, so-called, this kind of self-proclaimed uh, brothers, uh, Benedictine brothers, they um, they um, have taken a harder line even than Father Feeney. In, in his book, uh, I think it's Daily Bread, um, Father Feeney's lectures give, in the course of a year, three different explanations of baptism of desire and the effect. And I think it's because Father Feeney himself wasn't, wasn't clear. Um, he had an evolving idea of what baptism of desire was and what it could do. And no wonder Rome called him to the Vatican to explain himself, because I mean, he sounds very confused. None of his three explanations actually coincide with Catholic tradition. When I say Catholic tradition, I'm just going back to the Catechism of the Council of Trent, which was uh, originally uh, published to the world by Pope St. Pius V in the year 1566. That's the first edition of the Catechism of the Council of Trent. You couldn't really come up with better Catholic credentials than that, you know. And if you go to the original... Uh, Catechism of the Council of Trent. It came right off the presses uh, under the name of St. Pius V back in 1566. Uh, under the, the question of the baptism of adults, I mean, the, it says it explicitly in Latin, in, in Latin, in Latin that is really not beyond the capability of a layman who has some basic uh, Latin background. It says that uh, in the case of adults, the Church does not consider the urgency uh, in baptizing the adult as it does with the child. Uh, because if the adult uh, who, is, who has the intention of being baptized, okay, who intends to be baptized, but actually dies before baptism through no fault of his own, not by his own choice, okay, that he wasn't baptized, if he uh, dies with uh, um, the intention to receive the sacrament and true contrition for his sins, then this will avail him unto 
and through grace and justification. I mean, there you have grace and ju justification and sanctification. That's what you have, grace and justification. That's the effect of the sacrament of baptism. And when, if one dies justified and in the state of grace, well, we know what the Catholic Church has taught now, always, that a, a saint, uh, a soul that goes before God for judgment in the state of sanctifying grace is saved. It may not go straight to heaven because it might have perfect, it might have perfect charity. But, um, but I mean, the church even requires more about that from uh, grace of uh, the grace of justification from the baptism of desire. Because again, I mean, there's a strong traditional argument. The church is saying that in order to be justified of their sins um, through the baptism of desire, they have to have a perfect love for God because they're not able to receive the sacrament of baptism or the sacrament of penance. So a perfect, a perfect contrition is necessary for the goodness of mortal sin outside of you know, the sacrament of baptism or the sacrament of, of penance. I mean, there are others who might argue, you know, the desire for the sacrament of baptism does grant them that justification, even if their contrition is imperfect. There are some who would make that argument too. Um, I don't know that the church is actually explicitly answered that question. Council of Trent, as far as I can see, did not stipulate perfect contrition motivated by a perfect charity, perfect love for God, at least in not, not in that place in any case. But the, the point is that the church makes it very clear that um, there is such a thing as baptism of desire in the sense that the graces can be given because of the desire for the sacrament, the intention to receive it, and, and true contrition for one's sin. It's explicitly stated. Um, so if one wants to argue that the, the Council of Trent was wrong, that St. Pius V didn't understand the Council of Trent, that he got the faith wrong, that he's foisting some sort of a heresy on the faithful and misrepresenting the sacrament of baptism, well, their argument is not with me, but it's with St. Pius V. If they're saying the Council of Trent got it wrong, their argument is with the Church, not with me. Uh, but the, the Church's teaching is quite clear on the subject. Uh, what they do is they, they spot check like Protestants. They, they cherry pick going through tradition and so on, and they, they put together a list of quotations um, that, uh, you know, together kind of tend to show that they're right, you know, and, and anybody else who believes in baptism's desire is wrong. But again, I mean, Protestants can make a very strong case like that too. If they go through scriptures and do the same, the same thing, cherry pick the, the citations, um, as you know, an attorney, I mean, if you, if you just hear, hear the defense, the guy is innocent. If you hear the, the prosecution, the guy is guilty. You know? But when you have uh, someone who really knows the teaching of the church, is theologically well-schooled, and cares about the truth, Catholic truth, he's going to give you the whole story. And uh, like St. Thomas Aquinas in giving you the, the both sides of the question and then answering the objections. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, that's the Catholic way to proceed. That's not the way they proceed. The, the deniers of baptism of desire don't proceed that way. You know, they just give you the, the evidence for what they're saying, and then they cut it off. So, um, in any case, um, again, you know, they, they, they are not following Catholic tradition. And insofar as they are following Father Feeney and his confusion, they're definitely not following Catholic tradition. Um, you know, Father Feeney supposedly was reconciled with the church, the, the Novus Ordo Diocese of Boston, 
And, uh, and this is what I was told. Actually, I, was, I visited St. Benedict's Center back when, and I was told this story. I won't mention the name, but someone, it was actually official in the St. Benedict's Center at that time. He said that an auxiliary bishop from the Diocese of Boston came to St. Benedict's Center in Still River. I think it was back sometime in the 1960s, uh, late 60s. And um, he came to visit Father Feeney and wanted Father Feeney to sort of come back into the fold. This time it was kind of the Novus Ordo fold. And uh, that Father Feeney was kind of noncommittal and, and was not ready to do that. But that the, the auxiliary bishop was walking with Father Feeney to the door as he was leaving. And they came across, posted on the wall, the Athanasian Creed. I think it was the Athanasian Creed, not the Nicene Creed. Anyway, allegedly, the, the official with St. Benedict Center told me that the, Archbishop, the, the auxiliary bishop stopped and said to Father Feeney, do you believe what's written there? And Father Feeney said, I absolutely do. And the auxiliary bishop said, well, let's pray that together. So they prayed it through together. The auxiliary bishop left, and the next thing Father Feeney knew, he'd been reconciled with the, Arch with the Archdiocese of Boston. So this is what I was told by... As I say, somebody at St. Benedict Center in Silver River who should have known the truth. And I think he was telling me in all sincerity what he believed to be the truth. Okay. Well, the, um, now that we've gone through some of the list of some of the uh, various uh, traditionalist uh, groups, uh, the next question has to do with specifically the Society of St. Pius V. And the question is, does the Society plan on one day returning uh, to full communion with the uh, Vicar of Christ. If so, how will this occur, and what will the all-clear look like? Well, uh, let's clarify a couple of things. Uh, full communion as opposed to no communion, or full communion as opposed to so-called partial communion, okay? Because the, the Catholic Church does not believe in partial communion. Okay. That's an invention of the Novus Ordo. And the, the New Order Church invented partial communion because of her ecumenism, right? All religions have some truth and mixtures of truth and error. They're all evolving. I mean, this is modernist talk. And so they're all more or less in communion with each other to some extent. I mean, we're even communing with the Muslims insofar as we all worship one God, the same God, they say, right? We know that's not true. We do not worship the same God. They worship a false God. We worship the true God. And... Um, we are not in partial communion with them by any means. And we're not in, in partial communion with any other religious body that denies the, the, the Catholic faith and was not established by Jesus Christ. Okay? This was a, these are inventions by men, uh, by uh, mortal men who basically took the Catholic religion, crossed out what they didn't like, and started others, you know, a, a, a false religions of their own creation. So uh, we're not in partial communion. We're in full communion with Christ, okay? And we're in full communion with all the vicars of Christ who ever lived. We're in full communion with them. Uh, that's the whole point. And we're doing this. We are, we are actually being faithful to Catholic tradition precisely. We know because we know you can't be in communion with the church and you can't be in communion with the vicar of Christ unless you are following Catholic tradition. The Pope himself, right, cannot be, in fact... Uh, in communion with Christ if he is denying Catholic tradition, he's rejecting Catholic tradition, not only in practice, but in principle, as Francis does. I mean, Francis and the Novus Ordo uh, Pontiffs, the Pontiffs of the, of the New Order, 
Because that's what they are. I mean, they brought in this new order. They represent the new order. And they have found a, uh, a closet in, the, in, their, in their great, you know, monstrosity that, that they've, they've, they've built, uh, this new order church. They found a closet for a, a Latin mass, okay, where they expected to go to die, actually. But, uh, and um, they, uh, they, they reject the very idea of Catholic tradition. Francis has come around and said it. I mean, he said, uh, the, the tradition of the Catholic Church is change. That's it. That's it. You know, the Catholic Church just has change as her tradition. Everything changes. Perfect modernism, evolutionism, the bedrock of modernism, it's right there. So, um, we, we hold the same faith that St. Pius V hold, that St. Pius X hold, that all the other piouses, that all the other popes hold. Uh, before Vatican II and the modernists, uh, beginning with John XXIII, uh, we, we profess the traditional Catholic faith, that all of the saints we've honored for all these centuries, we have the same faith that they have. And uh, the, the Novus Ordo does not, does not hold that. Um, there, there are individuals within the Novus Ordo who do uh, hold to the pretty much the traditional faith. Um, but, um, again, they're willing to also say, you know, that those who don't hold that same faith, they're all together in the same church. Even those who don't have necessarily the same faith. You know? Someone who belongs to the Novus Ordo, by the way, and says, look, I belong to the Novus Ordo Diocese of Covington. I'm part of this diocese. I'm subject to the bishop. I go part of this parish and receive the Novus Ordo sacraments there. That person would also have to say, and, of course, I'm also in the same church with Hans Kung. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the um, what is he, Dutch um, uh, clergyman who, who denies practically all the doctrines of the Catholic Church. I mean, the man, if he's not an apostate, he'd come as close to apostasy as he can possibly come. And um, I'm not sure about the nationality for some reason. I'm getting a little, uh, little uh, brain freeze there. But nonetheless, Hans Kung has been around forever. He was a, he was a uh, one of the paritui. He was one. Of, he was a paritus a theological expert at Vatican II, okay? Benedict XVI welcomed him to the Vatican. They received him, and which scandalized a lot of people. Hans Kung was denounced to him. So I think it was Benedict XVI who said, well, we can no longer consider Hans Kung a Catholic theologian. And the, the conservatives in the Novus Ordo all thought, well, that's wonderful. You know, look, the Holy Father is upholding the faith he denounced Hans Kung as a, not a Catholic theologian. But Hans Kung is still a Catholic. He's still a Catholic priest in good standing. They still recognize him as a Catholic clergyman. He's still a theologian. I think he's teaching on a Protestant faculty, but he's teaching theology. So he's still a theologian, but he's not a Catholic theologian. He's figured that out. So anybody who belongs to the Novus Ordo has to say, well, look, he and I belong to the same church. I think the conservative Novus Ordo's would say, we don't have the same faith, uh, we don't maybe have the same worship, because I go to the Latin Mass, and he, he wouldn't touch it. You know, he has these radical... Uh, but even though we don't have the same faith, and we don't have the same worship, and we certainly don't recognize you know, the same authority, because he doesn't recognize the papacy, he thinks it's a human creation, you know, invention. <clears throat> We're still in the same church. Why? Because the Novus Ordo pontiffs, the popes of the Novus Ordo, recognize them both and acknowledge them both to be members of the church. 
this is this is the Novus Ordo Ecumenism. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, Hans Kung is a, is a, is not a Catholic. He's, he's a problem. Okay, uh, recognizably so. I mean, manifestly, he's not a Catholic. He doesn't have the faith. Uh, he condemns the Catholic faith. He ridicules the Catholic faith. But insofar as a, 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 a someone goes to the New Order Church and actually recognizes the Church of the Novus Ordo with all of its Novus Ordo mass sacraments, etc., etc., that person actually um, is, is in the same boat with Hans Kuhn. He's a co-religionist of Hans Kuhn. If he's not, what's he doing there? Why is he going there? Right? Uh, so he has to embrace Hans Kuhn as a brother in the faith, uh, and he has to admit all of the ecumenical principles of, of the new order in principle. And I consider him to be, in, sense, in that sense, no better, no more Catholic than Hans Kuhn. It's just that Hans Kuhn likes this, and our Latin mass friend likes that. It's a matter of personal preference. It can't be a matter of principle. Now, when you say that uh, the Society of St. Pius V is in communion with all of the vicars of Christ. Can we also um, take that to mean that the Society of St. Pius V has no plans uh, to uh, return to full communion with anyone who is not the vicar of Christ? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if somebody, um, just because somebody puts on the white robes, right, and lives at the right address, right, the Vatican City, if he doesn't profess the Catholic faith, if he doesn't represent the, the Catholic faith, uh, if he's teaching an alien faith, I mean, let's face it, uh, look, chapter 1, St. Paul to the Galatians, if an angel from heaven comes down and teaches you a different gospel than what we preach to you, let him be anathema. Right? So, a fortiori, a human being who uh, you know is elected by modernists to live in the Vatican and wear the white robes and so on, but he doesn't teach the Catholic faith. It's quite the contrary. He's falsifying the Catholic faith, and he's falsifying the Catholic religion. We will not be in communion with him. Not at all. I would not give Holy Communion to Francis. I would not. I would rather die than give Holy Communion to Francis Bergoglio. Francis Jorge Bergoglio. <clears throat> because I would consider myself to be betraying the entire Catholic Church in all of our history, uh, just read St. John Chrysostom on denying Holy Communion and how vehement he is at that. He's, he actually told his priests in Constantinople, if you're afraid to deny somebody Holy Communion, uh, one of the sheep who comes up with a dirty mouth and is ready to, like, like, like with his dirty mouth, spread the, the dirt on his mouth throughout the pond where all the other sheep are drinking. He said, if you're afraid of them because they're rich and they're powerful, call me. Let me come. I will go with the host and I will refuse the Holy Communion for you. <laughs> so, I mean, this is something that the church was absolutely adamant about because it involves sacrilege. And actually the worst possible sacrilege, sacrilege against the very person of our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. I couldn't give Holy Communion to Francis under any circumstances. So that's what it means to be in communion with. And I would never give him Holy Communion. And any, any so-called pontiff like him, who uh, outwardly may appear to the world as the pontiff because he's living in the Vatican and he's wearing the white robes and he appears on the on the balcony and everybody's hailing you know hailing Vito Papa. Uh, but the fact is, if he doesn't have the faith, as Francis does not have the faith, 
He doesn't practice the faith. This princess does not practice the Catholic faith. He practices the Novus Ordo. Um, we, we simply, as Catholics, as real Catholics, cannot be in communion with him. Not even partial communion with him. Father, I thank you very much for answering these questions regarding the uh, various uh, traditionalist groups, as well as some specific questions as to being in communion with the true Vicar of Christ. Um, next uh, episode, um, we will continue to answer more questions uh, regarding the indult mass uh, that, have, that have come into us. And uh, I thank you very much for your uh, insight tonight. Well, thank you, Jim. And thank, thanks to our questioner here. Appreciate that. Uh, we thank you all for viewing our episode tonight. Uh, we keep you in our prayers. We ask you that you also pray for us, pray for our priests. If you have any uh, requests as well, um, such as for any of the materials that have been on uh, the show, please uh, submit them to that email address. Uh, we thank you for your patronage, and we ask you to remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima, to pray, make sacrifices, and consecrate you and your families to the Immaculate Heart. Thank you. <laughs>